Have you ever felt like God is dealing with you? Now making his way back to Canaan, Jacob has another vision of angels, and he prepares to meet Esau before the Son of God comes to him in the night and wrestles with him until the breaking of the day. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, to defend us. 20 years after his first meeting with angels in the vision of the ladder, Jacob once again has a vision of angels on his way back to Canaan at the place called Mahanaim, which means two camps. Like the first experience at Bethel in Genesis 28, Jacob once again needs his faith to be strengthened as he faces a trial. So God comes to him, reminding him that his camp, the host of heaven, is with Jacob's camp those that he cares for. Now, when you look at these opening verses, the question may be raised, why is Jacob trying to meet with Esau? Could he not try to avoid him and just see how things work out? And that's certainly possible, but Jacob is trying to reconcile. And so he sends messengers ahead of him in order to show humility, first of all, and also to indicate that Jacob is not interested in anything material he has all that he needs. And so in verses 6 through 23, we learn that Jacob's messengers have returned. They're there to tell Jacob that Esau's coming with 400 men. What's he planning to do? Jacob doesn't know. But the Bible tells us that he was greatly afraid and distressed. So he does two things. There is the practical and the prayerful. He, first of all, divides his household into two groups. That's a practical strategy. Then he gets alone with God to pray. Note how he addresses God in covenantal language and then reflects humility in how he says, I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of all thy truth that thou hast showed unto thy servant. Note also how he bookends his prayer at the beginning and at the end by rehearsing to God his own promises. But the believer must always be willing to put legs to their prayers. And it's not just a matter of praying in a penitent way. If we have wronged someone, we have to do what is right. Jacob has wronged his brother. And so it would seem with the gift of over 500 animals, this is, this is huge, by the way, what he's willing to sacrifice. There's an indication of uh, giving back the material part of the birthright that he had sought to take from his brother. However, he does so strategically. He sends this over 500 animals in five separate groups. And as they make their way toward Esau, the intention seems to be that Jacob's wanting to buffet any, um, any kind of animosity that's still within Esau's heart, just with wave upon wave of kindness, of generosity. Now, now, some see Jacob in a negative light here. This is Jacob just trying to manipulate Esau. I think it's a little harsh. We have to think positively. He is trying to obey God. He is attempting to get back to Canaan. And he knows that in one sense, Esau stands in the way. And so it's, it seems wrong to be too harsh on Jacob here. But there may be a mix in how he approaches it. But even taking it in that way, does that not reflect you and me? Are we not often the same that even our most spiritual activity also reflects a measure of carnality? And the word used here, appease, is the same word used elsewhere. Usually in the Bible, it is translated atonement. And so there's a sense in which he is giving all these animals almost like a sacrifice 
making atonement for the wrong. So from verse 24 through 32, we see a man at the beginning of this section wanting to be alone with God. Here's a man who's learning, as the prophet says, to stir up himself to take hold of God. Here is one that's learning, according to James 4, to draw nigh to God, knowing that he will draw nigh to you. Now, at some point, as Jacob is praying and seeking to lay hold upon God, he feels a hand upon him. Now, try to picture yourself in this position. I mean, who who is getting hold of Jacob here? What's going through Jacob's mind? But at some point, we know from verse 30, he knows that he is wrestling with none other than God. If you envisage this tension, this battle, this wrestling, and Jacob feels like he can prevail, or at least he's mounting a resistance, his opponent then just reaches down with a slight touch upon his leg and puts it completely out of joint. This is impossible strength that would have confirmed, if he didn't know it already, that Jacob is wrestling with God. But Jacob does not want to quit. He desires one thing, the blessing of God. So he will not let go until he is blessed. And Jacob here depicts what later we would see in the life of our Lord Jesus, who went to Gethsemane and there in the garden he would wrestle with God, not merely for blessing upon himself, but with an eye to his people. And so we come to application one. Fear can be a tool in God's hand to produce righteousness in his people. While certain fears are sinful, when God moves providentially to provoke us to seek his face, if we are numb to that or stoic to that, that shows, that evidences spiritual lifelessness. The psalmist said, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And Jacob models that. But also our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane once again, he began to be sore amazed, we read. And that is very intense language in which he is realizing the extremity of what he is passing through. When God appoints such difficult seasons, it is not good for us to be numb or to just pass it off. He is moving us to seek his face. Two, it is right that God's people maintain a sense of their personal unworthiness. When Jacob mentions in verse 10 that he is unworthy, this is the right approach. And some might say that, well, because of what we have in Christ, we don't have to feel this way or express this to God. But that is wrong. God never takes issue with a man who expresses his own sense of unworthiness. The centurion in Matthew 8, he says, I am unworthy. And this is commended, this, this man is commended highly by our Lord Jesus Christ. Always maintain a low estimation of yourself before God. Three, God's people must learn to pray God's word back to him. Jacob does this, verses 9 and 12. And we find this elsewhere, such as in the life of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, this doesn't mean that the only prayers believers can pray are that which is the precise language of Scripture, but to undergird our prayers, to have our prayers modeled and framed by Scripture, uh, presents to us the best argument. And so, children, this is why it's good for you to memorize the Lord's Prayer. And when you don't know what to pray to God, simply rehearse the Lord's Prayer to God. For God's people must learn to seek peace at almost any cost. In the last chapter, Jacob was willing to enter into a peace agreement with Laban. Here, he is sacrificing enormous wealth in order to obtain peace with Esau. Don't be that person that sacrifices family unity over an inheritance. Always sacrifice everything except truth for peace, and always elevate righteousness 
over money. Five, God is in the business of changing his people. When Jacob is asked for his name, it harks back to that occasion when Isaac asked him if he was Esau. And so you find here that where at that occasion, 20 years prior, he is willing to lie about who he is, here he owns who he is. I am Jacob. I am the supplanter. And Esau had remarked on this. He said, is he not rightly named Jacob? But now, now, God gives him a new name, indicating his work in his heart and life. Dear Christian, don't despair. What we'll find in Jacob's life is that sometimes he'll be called Israel, sometimes he will be called Jacob, and it shows the ebb and flow of the Christian experience. But God is still working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And finally, God's people honor God when they renounce all reliance upon self. You remember what Mary said in Luke 1, that he hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away? That's what Jacob is learning. And when he has that experience and he is touched by God and walks forever with a limp, he is learning that when he understands his own weakness, when he's placed in a position of his own personal weakness, God then will show his strength. Think of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He takes human flesh in order to obtain the blessings that his people need. And in order to do that, he in his humanity is constantly depending upon the Spirit of God to do it by the power of the Spirit alone. And so he in his body, he bears these scars. He forever will be a man bearing the marks of his sufferings for his people. Don't be surprised when God brings you into wrestling seasons. And in those seasons, as you're crushed by a sense of fear or the challenges of life or whatever it may be, that he touches you and leaves a mark upon you, a mark that will forever make you aware that you're weak. And yet through that weakness, you'll obtain and experience his strength and his power. 